You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Yeah, this is going to be one of those uh, two screen situations, or I guess one screen, one pair of AirPods, because you got Spain and Fitz right now, our first show back after we both went off the grid for a bit. But you also have the WNBA draft starting right now on ESPN. So go ahead, tune in, catch all the draft day fits. And look out for the yeah. picks, but keep it here with Spain and Fitz. I think that somehow rhymed. Uh, yeah, draft day fits? Like, draft just, day fits while you're listening to out. Spain and Fitz? Nailing it right out of vacation. It is Woo! Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, because the draft is starting right now, just a few moments ago, we had a chance to talk to Michelle Vopel, who covers the WNBA for ESPN.com. Her latest WNBA mock draft has Ryan Howard at number one, Nelissa Smith at two, Shakira Austin at three. Uh, let's let's uh, head to our chat with her just a few minutes ago. She's going to give you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Hey, Michelle, uh, you were able to have a bit of a Q&A with the uh, WNBA commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, just now. What was your biggest takeaway from that? One of the things that the commissioner talked about was just um, how concerned the league is with Brittany Griner. And, you know, Kathy said that she's been, you know, dealing with government officials, obviously the union, um, Brittany's family, uh, they're, they're very concerned about her. Um, she said basically every day, um, they have conversations with somebody, but she, you know, complimented the players and the fact that everybody sort of followed, um, you know, the advice that they've been given in terms of trying to, um, do everything that they can to help Brittany, but not do anything to jeopardize, um, the, you know, the potential hopefully of, of her being able to come back. Obviously, you know, she's, she's not expected back, um, you know, for, for the, start of the WNBA season and, and we just don't know, you know, when, when we'll see her again. So that was one thing, um, you know, the commissioner brought up along with, um, you know, the questions that always come up with the draft, which are generally about expansion, because we know that a lot of the people that get drafted tonight are not going to make teams. There's just aren't, aren't roster spots for them. So two pretty different topics, but things that, um, you know, are, are in everybody's minds going into the draft. Did that expansion conversation make you feel any differently about what the future looks like for expansion for the league? You know, I always say I'll believe it when I see it. And and that's not to be cynical. It's just that the league expanded too fast um, 20 years ago and, and then lost those teams. So the, the way that um, Kathy Engelbert's really approached this has been – um, very diligent, very much like you'd expect somebody who spent her life being an accountant at, at a very high level. Um, she wants to make the numbers work, and that's what we all want to see. Everybody wants there to be more than 12 teams, but it has to work financially. I think they are getting closer to it, but I couldn't tell you how close that is. You know, you would hope that's we're talking about a few years. But it's it's been a while, you know, since there's been expansion. So when they do it, they want to be sure that it's going to be teams that are going to last. Michelle Vopel is with us here on Spain and Fitz. We're recording this just before the draft, and we're going to air it as it's happening. So some of these picks might be coming, but we're just going to act uh, like there's a nice long introduction to the draft tonight, and maybe maybe we'll beat them to the punch. Let's talk about some of the expectations. The Fever have a ton of picks tonight, and there is a real need for them to use them wisely. Michelle, this team has struggled for a long time. How are they going to make good on two, four, six, and ten in the first round tonight? Yes, yeah, you know it's a fascinating thing, and, and we see it. We've, we've seen it in other sports too, where you've had one player define a franchise, and when that player leaves, they just can't find their footing again. And obviously, that player's Tamika Catchings, 
somewhat ironically, then became the GM of the team and wasn't able to help them um, from the front office the way that she always was, you know, for um, her entire career as a player. So she stepped down in February. Lynn Dunn, the former coach, uh, took over as GM. And Lynn's been in basketball for a very long time. And she says flat out, we have to have more talent. We have to play better defense. She needs post players. The good thing is there's some good post players in this draft. So I think what we'll see um, if if Lynn does what she's saying she's going to do is she's going to draft at least three post players in the first round. So one of the articles I was reading about a week ago said it was pretty undecided as yet who would be the top pick in the draft. But Atlanta was aggressive in moving up to get the top pick. You've got Ryan Howard obviously mocked there. Uh, what do the dreams see in her that made her worth giving up so much to move up? I think they they see her as a franchise-type player. And, and I would say that Melissa Smith could also be that. Neither one of them are, you know, are quite like the absolute sure thing that you would think of um, a Brianna Stewart or an Asia Wilson. But they're not too far off from that in that if they develop the way everybody thinks they can, they're the type of players you can build a team around. In Ryan's case, she's six foot two, um, very, very strong guard, somebody who, um, you know, on the perimeter, it's she can create her shot almost out of nothing. And, you know, she's improved as a defensive player. So I think if they take her, which a lot of us have been sort of assuming that's why they moved up to number one is to take her. They also see her as being somebody who they want to build a franchise around in terms of um, her popularity and the type of player that she can be, how exciting a player she can be, because they need that in Atlanta. Michelle Vopel is with us talking about the WNBA draft tonight. The Aces, another team that made some moves to acquire a ton of picks. They've got the 8-13 and 13 from the Lynx in return for their first and second round selections next year. That means they've got five picks tonight. What do the Aces need to do, and why do you think so aggressive in, in their moves ahead of the draft this year? You know, it's interesting, Sarah, because that's a team that's been so close to a championship the last few years. You know, they lost in the WNBA Finals um, were upset in the semifinals by Phoenix last year. Liz Cambage is gone, but Asia Wilson is still there. And also, you know, the other big star now in uh, in Las Vegas is Becky Hammond in her first year as a coach. Mark Davis has hired a lot of people um, to, to try to build up this large brain trust um, that works with Becky. And I think they're sort of wanting to put their, their stamp on, on Las Vegas. So, I also think they may look for some post help. They they certainly have, you know, one of the best players in the world in Asia Wilson, but with Liz Cambage being gone, maybe look for a little bit more support for her. It's amazing that Sarah asked the Aces question since that's my team. So I'll ask a Chicago Sky question. <laughs> well, I just wasn't then. sure if you were still taking credit after my uh, Sky won it all and your team was uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if you had switched teams as you want to do. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm all Aces through and through. Come on now. That'd be the Vegas <laughs> part of me doesn't go anywhere. And Chicago <laughs> is obviously uh, you're, you're synonymous with Chicago, Sarah. So uh, it is interesting to me that there are no picks for Chicago in this draft at all. What impact does that have on their season in your mind? I feel like they're saying, look, we, we won the championship last year with a team that was 500 during the regular season and just really hit its stride. And I think they can pick up where they left off. Um, bringing in somebody like Emma Mieseman, who uh, you know was finals MVP with Washington back in 2019, she's a great fit there. And I, I think basically what Chicago is saying is, hey, we've, we've still got a very, very good Candace Parker. We've still got 
really the, the best overall point guard at this time in, in Courtney Vandersloot. And, you know, with, with what we saw of that team last year, they want to try to repeat. So I don't think they are looking at this draft as saying, hey, we're, we're going to miss out on a player that, that could be the difference in us repeating this year. I think they've got all the ingredients they need to, to try to make a run in another championship. Yeah, you look at the off-season moves, and in the WNBA, which for those who are not quite as familiar, there are some times that first-round picks don't make a roster because there's just so few teams. And uh, you look at the sky picking up Emma Misema and taking on Julie Alamon. Like this is a team that made the made the things that they need, uh, the moves that they need in the in free agency instead of uh, instead of the draft. So I'm feeling confident. Uh, about my squad, uh, even without any picks tonight. Uh, Michelle, last question for you before we let you go. Michelle Vopel's with us here. You can see her mock draft uh, right now and see how it matches up with what's really going down with the draft that's happening right now as we speak. Uh, Is there someone that you saw in the tournament that you think made a big leap in your mock drafts or that will get uh, chosen higher than expected before the NCAA tournament? You know, I think Destiny Henderson for South Carolina, if you were going to write a script for a player to say, when do you want to have the best game you've ever played in college? It would be in the national championship game when you won the championship. And she did that. I mean, she was just phenomenal in that game. And I think we saw she's a guard for South Carolina. We saw what she can do. She's so quick with the ball. She was such a good defender in that game. And she was the best offensive player on the, on the floor in that game. So she was somebody I thought was going to be probably a first round pick. But I think she really helped solidify that for herself with the way that she played in the final four. Yeah, I agree. Awesome stuff, Michelle. Well, enjoy the draft, and thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So the timing worked out that uh, we are still waiting for the first pick. Awesome stuff from Michelle giving us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Fitz, as we're uh, getting ready for the first pick to be made, uh, ooh, here it comes, here it comes, the Atlanta Dream selection coming. Uh, We're also watching the fits of the players. And I have to say, Destiny Henderson, by far the winner. But they were posting some online before the draft got started, including old school shots of Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird on draft night. And they were lamenting the Sue Bird in particular express outfit that she was rocking to draft night. So we're going to ask you guys, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, what big moment outfit do you look back on and cringe? It's prom, it's wedding, it's first day at school, whatever it is, we want, maybe if you got pictures too, we want you to tell us. By the way, as expected, Ryan Howard going number one to the Atlanta Dream. More on this later. Coming up, the NBA plan tournament schedule is set. What's the most exciting matchup? We'll tell you next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. After what felt like a wildly up and down regular season full of controversy and full of big storylines, the playoff matchups are finally set in the NBA, and that includes play-in matchups that for the second straight year give us reason to pay attention to what looks like could be marquee teams playing for an opportunity to more than just get in the playoffs but make noise when they get there. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, and look, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of conversation all the way from the very beginning about the play-in and the value of it. But for the second straight year, Sarah, we get some big matchups and big names, not the least of which is a Cleveland-Brooklyn matchup that gives us the opportunity to see Brooklyn trying to fight their way into the playoffs, which is surprising if you'd asked us that at the beginning of the year, but also even sees Kyrie coming home to Cleveland mm-hmm. to play against them. Like, it's just another one of the many storylines in this play-in that's actually very interesting for what, what feels like every game is a game seven. 
Yeah, we talked about this last year, and we read some of the names that would not have been in the postseason were it not for the playing tournament. So for as many people, LeBron most notably among them, who criticized it, it was a boon for the NBA in terms of getting some of those big stars still in the mix. And we thought that was going to be the case for LeBron and the Lakers. Unfortunately for them, they were so bad, they couldn't even make the play-in tournament. Uh, but we do, like you said, get some good matchups. And obviously the Nets are the biggest team in here in terms of their ability and their ceiling if they can make it out of this first round. The matchup specifically with Cleveland makes for it uh, to be extra juicy. And Kyrie, of course, was already asked about how he feels about going ahead and facing his former team. Yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty to get to there. Cleveland and Brooklyn, it's 7 o'clock tomorrow night, and then Clippers at Minnesota is the 9.30. Wednesday, we'll get Charlotte and Atlanta at 7, and then San Antonio at New Orleans at 9.30. Um, there's a couple teams in there that could make some noise, Fitz, but it does feel like it would be a big deal for most of them to get past this and win a first round after the play-in. Sure, but it also feels like there's sort of the an opportunity in the play-in for a couple of different things. Like if you're Minnesota, a team that you know obviously started particularly slow and has been able to play much better in the back third of the season, you're looking at a team that's young that started to play so well. They get a little bit, they they get to dip their toe in the playoff water enough to get a little experience to this moment. And if you're the NBA, you love the fact that they're taking on the Clippers, who now have Paul George. So. You know, to the point that Kyrie's making, there's still star power in all of that, Mm -hmm. whether it's telling stories about younger stars or whether it's Carl Anthony Towns or whether it's Paul George. Any way you want to look at it, you have star power. And if you look at Charlotte versus Atlanta, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were looking at Trey Young saying, oh, my God, he's going to be the lights out guy that the league will build around Mm -hmm. for the next decade. And he still might turn out to be. But just the fact that we get Atlanta in this play in game gives everybody at least a reason to watch this and say, hey, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, listen, this is a guy who's had those moments, those seminal moments, particularly when he goes to MSG. He's got the theatrics and the swag and the game, but there are a lot of really talented young stars that don't get past this playoff hill, and that's when you really start to become um, someone that the league sits up and takes notice about, more so than just the the regular season highlights and those moments. Um, And and that's a big opportunity for Atlanta. Same with New Orleans, to be honest, because this is a team that most of the time we've talked about them has been about Zion Williamson status. It's not really been about the New Orleans team and who else is around. And with C.J. McCollum there now, McCollum and Ingram, This makes for a much more interesting series than I would have expected when the season started. And if you had told me that Zion was going to be out all year, I think I would have written them off. This this team is is in the postseason. Yeah, it's the plan. But it's been impressive to see him kind of pull things together. I'm talking about CJ here as a veteran presence and try to uplift the younger players around him since he got there. Love every ounce of that and that storyline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, uh, presented by Progressive Insurance. And But the thing that, that hits me when you talk about the Pelicans, because you're right, my first thought is, oh, my God, if they'd had Zion, Zion, where would they even be in this? Like, how much better would they be? But then it sinks in that they're a playoff team that's 10 games below 500. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the staggering part of... And that the beca- Lakers couldn't make it, uh, yeah, <laughs> even uh, with that being the bar. I, mean, I hate facts. to keep bringing it back to them. I just get to enjoy it. I mean, I get to enjoy it. If we have to spend all year talking about a crap team, when they get eliminated, I get to at least revel in it a little bit. Yeah, I, well, and, you know, let's at least take a quick second and acknowledge that in the East, the team that uh, Trey Young... It might be the Madison Square Garden killer, right? Well, he doesn't have to kill the Knicks because they also didn't manage mm-hmm. to make it in a playoff where almost everybody feels like they make it. But it is funny to me how – now, obviously, the system's a little weird for the West this year. On the East, 
you know, all the way down to the 10th seed, the Hornets still at least had a winning record. But we right. hear people just constantly yelling in the NFL lexicon about, oh, my God, well, uh, what, what happens if we let a team with a losing record in the playoffs in? And now we've got two teams playing in the play-in for the NBA in the West. One's the Pelicans at 10 games under, four, uh, under 500. The other's the Spurs at 14 games under 500. I mean, that's miserable, but it still has excitement to it because of the sort of chaos that the play-in op- offers. Yeah, it does. And, and honestly, I think as much as you can find great storylines across the Clippers, like you mentioned, Paul George coming back, there's still a tiny little question mark about whether or not it's possible that Kawhi could come back. That obviously adds a little bit of uh, intrigue there. I think all eyes are on the Nets because they are so inconsistent. And we talk about the schadenfreude of enjoying the Lakers not even making it. If the Nets, after all of the drama and consternation about Kyrie and the vaccines, getting rid of James Harden, everything else, if they can't advance past the plan, oh boy, is that a content field day for us gas bags. Oh my God, yeah. It, it is. The, the alarming amount of disappointment that can still come out of all of this gives the troll in me so much joy. And I don't know why. Like, you know, usually I like to focus on the positive, but there are certain teams in the NBA Agreed. that right 100%. now it's just... 100%. Turn it, me into I a just, hater. I, I'm looking at Brooklyn and I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, the sooner that they're out of it, the more we can actually talk about teams that are worth talking about this year. That makes me a troll. I will wildly accept that. <laughs> uh, but it still it, it at least plays out that way. By the way, uh, it should be quickly noted, remember all the hype there was for the Clippers a couple of years ago? For as tough as we're being on the Lakers... I want to be equally tough that the Clippers have been a massive disappointment. All right, coming up, do we all have the NBA MVP conversation wrong? We'll figure it out. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are keeping one eye on the WNBA draft while also chatting about other things here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, as as expected, Ryan Howard went to the Dream. Nalissa Smith called by the Fever. Uh, it looks like Shakira Austin went number three to the Mystics. So we'll keep you updated on all the picks as the night goes on. But we got to get to some more NBA talk. Uh, Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated senior writer, joins us now to get into that. Howard, thanks for the time. <laughs> Good evening, and uh, welcome back from the Grand Canyon. Is that where those photos were? Yes, I survived. Uh, We're going to talk about it a little later in the show. A little sore, but uh, honestly, not that bad considering. It was... uh... I did, I did the training that was required to emerge unscathed. You worked mostly. your tail off. I'm just going to say it for you. You worked your tail off. I, and, I, and it was required. I needed every bit of it when I was going up that last last five miles or so straight uphill. Um, Howard, you wrote a story about the MVP, and you said we're all getting it wrong. Uh, was that just a, a clickbait, or do you actually believe that we've been doing this wrong all season long? <laughs> it's a little of everything and you know look it's a little tongue-in-cheek because i do end the column with i could be wrong um i've been uh, this is my 25th season covering the league and i've been a voter on the awards for most of that minus the nine years i was at the new york times where they don't allow us to vote um and so i've had to think about this way 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 too much every year and you hear all these arguments all the time and these, these, these axioms, these, these formulas that people trot out for what the MVP is and what it isn't and all this. And as somebody who actually has to vote. And so, you know, when I think about it, if, if I'm screwing up the, the idea, it matters more because I'm turning in a real ballot. And so I take that very seriously. And so having thought way too much about it, I just, this is a column that was a bit in my head for years about 
all the ways in which people talk about the MVP race and who should win it and why. And it's not so much that I think that the result is flawed in, in this year in particular. Like, hey, Jokic, great candidate. Giannis, great candidate. Embiid, great candidate. Any of those three are fine. Anybody else after that might be a little bit of a stretch. So it's not about the player. It's about the rationale that people use. And so that's what I was trying to knock down in the column is the idea that I think this gets oversimplified. I think Mm -hmm. people approach this with way too much certitude about what they think the MVP is and why their guy is the choice because of X, Y, Z. And it's, I think if anything bothers me the most that, that, that connects all of these discussions it's the ridiculous certitude that people sometimes have <laughs> while citing some super fancy stat that none of us understand, but we think is smart. So we're just going to place our faith in it, even though, you know, most of us can't explain it or tell you what the formula is. And it, it's like, no, there, there's, there, there's no absolutes on, on most of these. And I, I will say as one last point on this, though, we've had years where, you know, Steph won it unanimously. And we've had other years where, you know, like Shaq won it almost unanimously once. There are certain years where it's pretty obvious. LeBron went one vote short, shy of, you know, there are some years where it is almost inarguable, but still always arguable because there's no definition except the ones that each of us make up and I have my own. Right, 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 right. Well, okay, so Howard, the only thing I can relate this to is I listen to you talk, I have a Grammy vote. So when I go into that process, if you ask 20 different people what the record of the year is, you get 20 different explanations. Now, there's a lot of us with a microphone that will react to the MVP vote. But if you just talk to only voters, how much commonality is there in the criteria and the process amongst the voters themselves? You know, the hundred of us don't ever get in a room together. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know. Like, I listen, we compare notes sometimes, like not all hundred of us, obviously. I don't even know all the hundred voters. But, you know, I'll exchange texts with friends of mine who cover the NBA. Like, hey, what are you thinking for this? Or what do you think for that? I'm thinking this way. And, we, you know, you test out. That, like, that's, that's a good, healthy way of deciding these things is to kind of test out your own theories and your premises. And then a, a friend of yours, you know, who's also covering the league who has a really smart take says, well, but what about this? And that's how, that's how you kind of, you know, come to these, these decisions, I think. So if I were to ask, you know, any subset of those 100 voters, I guess I would guess you would get a lot of different definitions, and I would guess it would include a lot of the definitions that I was uh, kind of crapping on in my column today. Um, <laughs> sorry, everybody else. Um, but, you know, as I say, I, I, I could be wrong. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Sports Illustrated's Howard Beck. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers to switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. All right, Howard, let's get into the play-in tournament. Obviously, most eyes will be on the Nets as they are expected to be able to do the most damage if they emerge from this play-in tournament. What do you think is the biggest key to them not getting caught up by the Cavs? Um, you know, I, I think they just need to move the ball. This sounds like the simplest thing in the world. Steve Nash was addressing this yesterday before their, their regular season finale, uh, or maybe it was a couple of days ago, about the idea that they just, they don't have like a go-to point guard distributor type, right? Like, Kyrie Irving is a, is a you know, kind of point guard by trade and by position, by, by height. Um, Kyrie Irving's a scorer. Kevin Durant's a scorer. Kevin Durant had a career high in assists yesterday, so clearly he can playmake. But Kevin Durant is the guy you want just dropping 35, 40, 50 if necessary. You don't want to necessarily have him also being your lead playmaker, and he's got a lot of defensive responsibilities too. They don't have a lot of perimeter defense. They don't have a lot of defense, period. And then Kyrie you know, can be a distributor, but Kyrie, you know, can dominate the ball quite a bit and, and 
creates a lot for himself. Goran Dragic is apparently coming out of uh, health and safety protocols, so that's a huge, huge uh, get for them to have him back. He was obviously a late-season signing, and I think that could help in this game against the Cavaliers tomorrow night. But, you know, the, the Nets clearly have more talent. You know, the Cavs have had a great season. Darius Garland became an all-star. Jared Allen became an all-star, but Jared Allen is still out with a hand injury, and that's really hurt them defensively and hurt their, their interior scoring. So the Cavs, you know, on the road, no Jared Allen. The Nets should win this game tomorrow if they just, you know, you know, run a semblance of an offense and get good opportunities for guys, you know, other than just Durant and Kyrie. But they could probably beat them with just Durant and Kyrie alone and no <laughs> offensive system to, to speak of. And when they, if and when that were to happen, does that suddenly change anything about the way you're feeling about Brooklyn going into the playoffs overall? No, because, you know, a couple things. One, when you're in a, you know, kind of all or nothing game, and tomorrow night's not the all or nothing, right? Because the Nets finished seventh in the regular season. Like, they've got room for error. If they, if they somehow lost tomorrow, then they play another game to become the eighth seed. And if they lost that game, then they're out. But a lot can happen in a given game in the NBA. You know, this is the fun of, of the playing is that we've got this, you know, March Madness type of suspense where it's, it is, you know, kind of win or go home. And what if Kevin Durant turns his ankle in the first quarter? What if Kevin Durant gets in foul trouble (laughs) in the first quarter? You know, what if somebody just got a a bad shooting night or Darius Garland is just, you know, really hot for the Cavs? Like you are, there's a lot of risk involved when you're going in via the play-in. If the Nets win this one and they're in as the seventh seed and they're going to play the Celtics in the first round, okay, now now we'll see the the, the real deal. Uh, This is as whole as they're going to get. Ben Simmons may come back sometime in the first round. I, I, I don't know if that's actually a net plus or a net minus. I mean, they need his defense. They need bodies. They, they, they need his talent. He's a talented player. But Ben Simmons has never played for the Nets. Not right. a minute. Not mm-hmm. a single practice. Still hasn't practiced. And hasn't played a basketball, an, an NBA game, period, since he, you know, went out with the Sixers last June. That's a long time to not have played. And then to throw him in, in the middle of a playoff series against a really good Celtics team. I, like I almost feel like Risky. that, as yeah. much as you want his talent out there, that that variable, when we talk about things like chemistry and continuity, and do you really you know know your guys and, and, and how to play off each other in tight situations? Like I, I feel like that could be a handicap, and I, I don't think there's any guarantee whatsoever that the Nets are getting out of the first round. Well, and it's physical and mental. It's you haven't played in over a year and never for us. And then mentally, the last we saw of you wasn't great. So what kind of position are we putting you in? And how are we risking your future abilities if we put you in when you're not not secure? It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Hey, Howard, quickly, you know, we spent so much time talking about Kyrie and his potential ability uh, or, or inability to, to be available for all the postseason games. That is no longer an issue, at least right now, unless the Nets face off against the Raptors more Immediately, we've got Matisse Thibel, who's not able to go in that first-round series for the Sixers-Raptors. What do you make of his absence when they travel on the road to, to Toronto? So, right off the bat, I mean, the Sixers are a team that don't have great depth, don't have a great bench, and lost a lot of the depth when they, when they made the swap of Simmons for Harden because they also gave up Seth Curry and Andre Drummond in that deal. So, they're already a little thin, and Matisse Thibel clearly – one of their best or possibly the best defender they've got uh, on the perimeter. And so to play games three and four in Toronto without Matisse Thibel and potentially a game six in Toronto without Thibel, it absolutely could haunt them 
And I'll apply the same standard to Thibel that I have to Kyrie, which is whatever your rationale is and whatever people may think about uh, COVID and the vaccine and mandates and this and that and, and Canada's laws that are going to, to, to you know, make this a problem for them. Whatever you think about all that, the fact is it is a choice. It is a choice. Kyrie Irving made a choice to rob the Nets of his services for most of this season. And Thibel is now doing the same for the 76ers in a key playoff series that could severely affect the trajectory of this franchise. Like they've got a lot tied up in that Harden deal and a potential massive extension for him in the offseason. If they go out in the first round, at least in part because maybe they don't have their full con- or they won't have their full contingent for their road games, that's a lot of consequence mm-hmm. on the line. Um, and it is a choice. He made Huge. a choice. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, that we thought maybe was kind of a conversation that was over for a little bit, but here it is hitting us right in the first round. Hey, Howard, thanks so much for the insight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Howard. Always a pleasure. Thanks Go for having me. Go check out Howard's work at Sports Illustrated. Go check out that MVP column. See if you agree. It's Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, as Howard mentioned, the pictures that he was talking about were from the Grand Canyon. I will paint a mental picture of how it feels to have walked roughly 30 miles and then get to the last five straight uphill. It's next. <laughs> you're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh, if Spain you're and a Fitz regular on ESPN listener. Radio, the ESPN oh, app, Sirius XM channel lady. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Did we both come in together right there? Yeah, did we, we did. But just... you know what? We've both been on vacation, so I think we were allowed to sort of fumble our way through our first show back. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, here, here we're just going to peek behind the curtain, though. Like, we have a Google Doc we're sharing. It says JF yeah, next to this. It is. I was and doing the right was, thing for once. That was you my know? bad. I, I, well, that was my bad. But remember when we started originally, I was going to do this, but then we flipped it. And so I was uh, my brain was remembering the original version again because we're just coming back from vacation. Well, and let's be real. You did uh, much different things in your vacation. I did uh, I did do a substantial amount of walking and uh, really? getting off the grid so that that, you know, uh, where did you go about, anywhere or just your uh, couch? Yeah, uh, just no, no. I was not to my couch. I, I just sort of got off the grid, went out to like a Airbnb, got away from everything, Ooh, got away from technology. Rhode uh, Island is that where you uh, went? No, uh, yeah, like up in New England. Yeah, nice. There's a lot of places up here, like up near New Hampshire, that uh, are really cool. pretty. And yeah. so I went up there and I averaged about 12 miles a day walking, uh, which you know that's that's, that's really just good. Like, I was like getting out there and trying to be meditative and spend a few yeah. days sort of like recalibrating. Little, and little then I, peyote I, and some mileage. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny what the, uh, what the party atmosphere was like. But I can tell you this. I look at social media and I, I immediately remembered that for my like, oh, my God, I walked my feet hurt. You handled the Grand Canyon. My God, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. So people who have listened to uh, my podcast know I've had this do crew uh, where I brought together people uh, as I was trying to keep myself accountable to my preparations and my training. I brought together other people and there's about 15 that sort of signed up on my podcast uh, to be held accountable for something that they want to accomplish. Uh, learn to speak Welsh, learn to play the ukulele, climb every mountain of a certain height in the state that they live in, bowl a perfect game. There's a whole bunch, you know, publish a children's book. There's a whole bunch of folks who have had something in their mind and they've been putting it off. And so we decided at the beginning of the year that we were going to be held accountable for doing it. And part of the reason I did that is because you know when you're trying to, you know, just get healthy and it's very vague? If it doesn't work out, nothing <laughs> bad happens. You're just as fat as you ever were a couple months later, right? Like, that's the worst that happens. It's like, ah, I kind of didn't stick with my uh, New Year's resolutions, but whatever, who cares? Not so if you need to climb the Grand Canyon. If you don't stick with it and do the prep and you find yourself halfway up the mountain, which is nine and a half miles up, <laughs> 
almost 5,000 feet of elevation, then you are completely screwed and you will likely be removed via helicopter because there is no other way out. Like, that's it. Um, And even if you're pretty much hoofing it and not taking very many breaks, it'll still take you about, you know, well, Hmm? not quickly. It'll be the opposite. Roughly, I don't know, five to eight hours. Oh, my God. yeah, because you're going straight up. You start out early in the morning and it's cold and then it gets progressively hotter and then it starts getting colder again as you get to the rim because the temperature change is so extreme. It's hot at the bottom, but you're starting out when it's almost dark out at night at 6 a.m. Um, and so it was awesome. I mean, my mom is 70 years old, Fitz, and she she did it and she crushed it. It was so impressive. My husband, who's such a jerk, who barely trained at all. He's just one of those lanky MFers who just shows up and gets to be good at stuff. So he's fine. Meanwhile, as I mentioned before, I have two bulging discs in my back, a herniated disc in my neck. I've got a torn Achilles, which led to a midget calf. I've got um, a shoulder that has rotator cuff um, injury and an impingement problem. Um, So all of that stuff, I had to basically train as much as possible so that if any of it popped up, it wouldn't, you know, be a complete disaster. Uh, and we made it and it's gorgeous. We camped at the bottom for two nights, um, slept, you know, in a sleeping bag in a tent with ring tail things that look like raccoons trying to steal our food. Um, and the only nice thing about what we did, we took a, a guided tour. So we had two other folks with us. Um, and we didn't know them. They were in their sixties from Wisconsin. The one guy had no ACL on one knee, and no hamstring on the other side. And he had two mix- missing fingers from a motorcycle accident. So he was, uh, oh, and he had a regular heartbeat. So he, I think, maybe had a death wish and was hoping that that would be the end for him. But he made it. Um, but uh, we all went down and mules took down our food in our tents. So that was the one nice thing is we only had to have about 25 pounds on our back the whole way down and up. And if it had been like a full camping where some people are going down there and they've got everything on them like a 50 to 60 pound sack to do 30 plus miles so uh we 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 had a little bit of a help there i'm shooketh as i listen to all of this because (laughs) all i'm imagining now is adding 25 pounds of weight while i get down to the bottom of the grand canyon where i am then forced to camp without like no no, you didn't say glamp notice like glamping i might be in for camping like like you're telling me there's a tent there's wild animals trying to steal my food no shower like there's no there's no showering there's no like like give me a little like, I, like if I'm gonna take this as a vacation then at least have like a personal <laughs> chef that's gonna come in and bring me something. Uh, well, no, our guy did cook that. for us uh, okay. and he did a good job. We had you know breakfast burritos and a bowl. He made us some sort of he made us miso soup and like a basically Asian version of sa- the San Francisco treat riceroni because the last night he just wants to pump you full of salt uh, because you're about to you know what happens is you get so dehydrated and you keep drinking water but you don't have enough salt and then you can get this really um terrible disease where your body shuts down because you actually drown your organs because there's not enough salt to soak it up uh there's a lot of bad things that can happen they have about 300 plus rescues a year which means almost every single day except you know half half the time it's not that busy because it's winter but um almost every single day somebody has to get helicoptered out (laughs) so look i Hey, you'd have been helicoptering me out the minute we started, number one. But, like, I'd have made, like, eight steps. And I, I remember being in Montana, and there was this little hill. And we were standing, at like, the guys on tour, and we all looked at it. We're like, we'll hike the hill. And we're like, let's go. 
And then we made it about a third of the way up the hill when we decided it was obviously a massive mountain, even though it was a right. tiny hill. Because, like, it just – and then yep. you got, like – I had, like, 80-year-old people just power walking past me on the entire <laughs> walk. Like, there's no well, way I'm Well, that's the this. humbling part is there's people that run it. Oh, good. And I'm they like – They run the Grand Canyon by no, choice. No. No thanks. Um, and you look at, like – you know, we did a hike in Arizona to train when we were there for spring training and the heckler stuff uh, about a month ago. And it was two miles, about 900 feet. And it took, you know, an hour or so. And I'm like, okay, so you've got to do that four and a half times. But after you've already done, you know, the full seven miles down and then another five-mile hike the next day and wandered around. So, like, you you have no other option, though. There's literally no other way out. You can't just give up. You're like – and the longer you wait, the hotter you get and the later it gets. And you're trying to get up to the top of the mountain and have, you know, a meal. So, yeah, it's good to challenge yourself, though. I think it was good. And I was very proud of my mom. Well, you should be proud of your mom, and you should be proud of yourself. All right, let's Thank just be you. real. You, you, that, that is absolutely crushing life. I cannot Thank imagine. You. I would just be sitting at the bottom crying <laughs> because realizing as I am ingesting salt that I'm never going to make it back up to the top of this thing. All well, right, next week's pod, all the details. So listen uh, up. I cannot wait. In the meantime, what's the biggest question mark heading into the NBA playoffs? We'll answer that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Keeping one eye on the WNBA draft, and uh, fear not, uh, one of the things that uh, my Vegas Aces needed to address was some three-point shooting and ended uh, with the eighth overall pick in the draft. Maya Hollingshed uh, and the, uh, the the scouting report says uh, three-point shooting. What do you know? Wow, so look just, at that. I'm, I'm glad your team you know. is addressing some of their many needs. My team doesn't have any needs. Wow. Uh, you know what? All we need to do is... Back to back, double up, win it again. Uh, I don't even have a comeback to that. All mm-hmm. I know is that uh, in Becky we trust. That's all we're saying in Vegas. In the meantime, while we keep one eye on the WNBA draft, we also are keeping uh, the other eye on the NBA playoffs as we get ready to try and make sense of all of it. So to help us with that, we, uh, we're joined now by Ben Gulliver, Washington Post National NBA writer. Ben, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate you joining us. As we look at the play-in tournament, I'm trying to figure out what to make of Brooklyn. So what's a realistic expectation in your mind for the Nets from where they are now moving forward? Well, first of all, they better beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? I mean, that Cavaliers team has been reeling. And when you're looking at that seven-versus-eight matchup, it's going to take place in Barclays on Tuesday night. They just need to take care of business and give forward, you know, with that first-round series against the Boston Celtics. So, you know, to me, you know, they're probably the only one of these eight play-in teams that can realistically say, hey, maybe we're title contenders. If everything breaks right, we have a chance to win a title. But they're going to have to approach this process step by step. And uh, that starts with, uh, you know, beating Cleveland. And, you know, to me, you've seen some really nice moments from Kyrie Irving, but maybe not the consistency. You've seen some phenomenal play from Kevin Durant. The other night he had kind of an off night. Those two guys need to kind of cycle up, sync up, get on the same page, and start this postseason push out right uh, by beating Cleveland. And then I think if, if they do that, you're looking at Boston-Brooklyn being by far and away the most intriguing first-round matchup of all the potential series. You've got talent all over the court, a great headlining matchup between Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant. I just really want that series, so they better not lose that game on Tuesday. <laughs> Threats are a good way to to go about making sure you get the outcome you're looking for. Uh, Besides (laughs) the Nets, who you mentioned, uh, we all think, of course, probably have the highest ceiling of the play-in teams. Who else can make some noise, even if that noise just means winning a first-round series, in your opinion? 
Well, uh, you know, first of all, just taking the play in, uh, what we learned last year is home court advantage matters a lot, right? And when you're looking at the teams that are going to have home court advantage in these series, I mean, that would be Atlanta in the 9-10, but then potentially they'd have to go on the road against Cleveland. So you would favor Cleveland in that second matchup. Uh, you switch over to, uh, you know, the Western Conference. Probably the, the biggest threat of those four teams is the Los Angeles Clippers now that they've got Paul George back. But they have to go on the road for their first game against Minnesota, who's no slouch, and then potentially they would host their second game. So when I'm looking at the teams in the Western Conference, I'm not sure I see anybody who could really you know, have a great chance to pull an upset. You know, New Orleans and San Antonio, they're so far below 500. I think they're just sort of in the happy-to-be-there uh, category or maybe even the surprise-to-be-there category because everybody thought it was going to be the Lakers. The Lakers fall to pieces, and now somebody else has to kind of step in for them, right? So if you're looking for another upset pick, I think you're, you're, you're circling Trey Young. I mean, he had a nice run last year in the postseason. Maybe he gets red hot. You're looking at Paul George and the Clippers. They've won six straight games to end the season, so they're coming in with some real momentum. But you look at the, t- the teams at the top of the Western Conference, whether that's Phoenix or Memphis, those are both great teams. They're going to be you know, very well-rested before they actually have to face one of their playing opponents, and I expect those teams to take care of business real easy. Uh, you know, to me, I feel like there's three teams that actually have a chance to win the West. It's Phoenix, it's Memphis, and it's Golden State if Steph Curry is healthy. Other than that, I think it's going to be all chalk. When you start talking about the – and you did a great job there, Ben, of just separating everything into tiers. Did you see anything in the last, let's say, three weeks of the season that changed your mind about what tier a team is in? Well, the biggest question mark is Steph Curry's health, right? I mean, I think Golden State, even though they don't have the best record, I think they have the highest ceiling of any team in the entire playoffs uh, because Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson have won multiple titles together. They've made lots of deep runs. They can almost orchestrate their offense with their eyes closed. And if you go back to you know November and December when those guys were healthy, even before Clay Thompson's return, they were just smacking everybody. I mean, winning by a lot, right? And it's been just a really bumpy road without Steph Curry. But I think one positive in his absence has been Jordan Poole. I mean, this guy's turned into a killer. I think the, the Warriors are right to hype him up as a most improved player candidate. Um, he's turned into a very reliable you know, source of offense. So they almost have a big four now if they can get Steph Curry back on the court. So, you know, to me, that's, that was the biggest storyline of the last month is what do the Warriors look like without Steph? They were real shaky, but they did have some positive developments. Now, if they welcome him back, I think they have a very favorable first round matchup uh, against Denver. You know, Jokic is going to have a hard time covering all those three point shooters for the Warriors. And then that would set up potentially uh, you know, a second-round matchup, uh, you know, with, with Memphis, which would be must-see TV. I mean, we saw it in last year's play-in, you know, John Morant versus Steph Curry. Get the popcorn. That would be a phenomenal series. Uh, bo- bo- both teams, you know, with good depth, lots of talent, superstar headliners. It would be great to see that in the second round. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, talking all things NBA as we get prepared for not only the plan tournament, but then uh, the rest of the matchups. Ben Golliver of the Washington Post with us here. Uh, you mentioned the Warriors. A lot of people saying that the criticism for them has been, are they big enough? And obviously a first round matchup that's going to test that. The same goes for my Chicago Bulls. Can't think of a worse matchup, in fact, than going against the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis when this is a team whose only chance to go against uh, a team with a big, strong center presence was when they actually had Lonzo and Caruso work in that perimeter and upsetting offenses before they could even get set. Do you see a chance for the Bulls to win more than one game in this series? Oh, well, don't hang up on me. I think they're getting swept. You know, I hate to, I hate to break your heart. 
I hate to break your heart, but look, the matchups are just all wrong in that series like you described. Yeah. I mean, even if they had their full backcourt right, who's guarding Giannis? I mean, to me, the weakest link in, in that defense for Chicago, it's inside with Vucevic. You know, he's a yeah. very skilled offensive player, underrated guy. It was a nice move to get Vucevic. I think that actually set up their subsequent moves, right? Kind of makes it easier to convince a DeMar DeRozan to sign there. But he's not going to be able to guard Giannis. And, and they've actually faced off in the bubble playoffs, and that did not go well for Vucevic when he was uh, back in Orlando. So, to me, it's going to be Giannis kind of flexing and, uh, you know, trying to get just huge numbers and, and putting Chicago away early, uh, you know, early, earlier, as early as possible, I should say. But, uh, you know, Milwaukee has this tendency every once in a while to drop a game they shouldn't drop early in a playoff series they have done that in the past. They take their eye off the ball a little bit. And so what I'm looking for from that series, do they have, you know, just kind of the eye of the tiger, you know, that, that idea of, hey, we're on a title defense mission here. It wasn't the smoothest regular season. You know, Brooke Lopez was out for almost the entire thing. Uh, but can they just kick it up to sixth gear and really send a message? And unfortunately, I think they're going to do that. And I think they're going to do it uh, against your Chicago Bulls. Ben, the other big matchup I think a lot of people are looking at, Philly taking on Toronto, it has complication to it because of vaccination requirements in Toronto. What sort of a, how do you see that series playing out because of that? Well, let me ask you guys this. Is Toronto now America's team? I mean, I feel like Philly is the most hated team in the bracket, you know, largely because of James Harden and, you know, some of his postseason struggles. And I think people like to crack on Doc Rivers a little bit for, you know, blowing 3-1 leads. And there's other people out there who kind of question Joel Embiid. You know, is he ever going to be able to get it done in the playoffs? And, you know, you look at this Toronto team, just completely scrappy. They had no expectations coming into the season. It was supposed to be a rebuilding year after they trade Kyle Lowry, and instead they have just played awesome basketball. They got Scotty Barnes, one of the most likable young players you're ever going to see, a big-time, big-time talent. You know, to me, he's a future All-NBA guy. He's going to get a great showcase in this series. But they're just so long, so active, so interchangeable on defense, they're going to be able to make James Harden's life just a nightmare. I mean, they're really going to force him to beat them with the three-point shot. They're going to be able to keep him out of the pain, I think, pretty well. And so, you know, to me, this series comes down to, like, can Joel Embiid just impose his will on everybody and just take this series over? If so, Philly would win. If not, Toronto has a great chance to uh to pull the upset and imagine the headlines if Philly goes out in round one, right? I mean, people are going to be probably linking Doc Rivers to that Lakers job immediately within 24 hours, right? So there could be some real fallout, you know, questions about how much do you pay Harden this summer if he can't get it done in these playoffs. I actually think he probably has more pressure on him individually than any guy in the postseason period. Uh, He's never won it before. He's got this big uh, contract extension on deck. Um, and, you know, he's coming to Philly after pushing his way out of two separate teams here over the last 18 months. So you add all that up, lots and lots of pressure, and I think there's going to be a lot of people rooting against those 76ers. You can read him on the Washington Post, and you can check him out on Twitter, at Ben Golliver. Ben, we appreciate your time and your insight, your expertise. Thanks for hanging out with us. Enjoy the playoffs. Oh, it's my pleasure. You, you guys too. Take care. That's a lot of insight on the teams that are still playing, but there's one team not playing. That's the Lakers. Frank Vogel's out in L.A. will shed, shed some light on why next with some quickie. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Now this one's you, Fitz, but oh, I'll go ahead me. and take it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, see, this is the, well, we're just getting back into the swing of things. Go for it. <laughs> 
It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'll be honest. I was busy looking. I, I was just reading a scouting report on another Vegas Aces pick. And, oh, okay. Uh, right. You know, I just got lost in my feels right there. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, I'm lost in my feels because the WNBA draft is going on. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack with it. We, we obviously are going to get to a bunch of it. But I will say, Sarah, you've made the point a couple of times. I think it's, it's worth making again the amount of quality players that are coming out actually means that some of these people that are drafted, even in the first round, don't have the assurance of having a job, which is such a strange difference as I am knee-deep in NFL draft prep right now. And you think about the expectations in the NFL that if you draft somebody in the first, second, third, fourth round, they should be a day-one starter. You know, fifth round starts to get into, should still make the roster. I realize rosters are different in different sports, but to think that there are so many talented players coming out that even being drafted at the end of the first round doesn't mean that anybody has a clear-cut path to a roster spot speaks to the depth and also speaks to the challenges that players face trying to make it in the WNBA. 100%, and that's why I'm all for expansion, and it feels like Kathy Engelbert isn't quite ready to go there yet, but I think it would be good for the sport and, and for the players for sure. Yeah, and it's, by the way, understand why they'd be hesitant given the past, but got to move on to the future. In the meantime, we will move on to a little bit of love, checking in on everything across the NBA, doing it the way only this show can. It's time for some quickies. All right, let's start with Frank Vogel, no longer the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. This was not a surprising move for anybody, Sarah, obviously. Uh, we didn't think that anything of it, uh, th- that he wouldn't uh, make it through this process. Everybody knew he was going to be fired, but even reporters knew. And this is Vogel at his press conference on reports of the impending firing. Frank, right at the end of the game, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that um, the Lakers are going to be firing you, a decision they'll let you know tomorrow. Have you communicated with the front office at all about your future? And I guess what's your reaction to, to hearing that? Uh, my reaction is uh, I haven't been told and I'm going to enjoy tonight's game, celebrate what these young guys did in terms of uh, scratching, scratching the claw and getting, getting back in this game, getting a W. And, uh, you know, we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Did that get back to you before you walked in this room? Yes. Did that affect? I'm going to enjoy tonight's game and what our guys did tonight and the way we finished out this season. I'm proud of our guys tonight. Fitz, we all had the same reaction when we saw that Woj tweet last night. They were, it was uh, something that they planned to inform him by Monday. And we're like, well, he found out now. <laughs> Ain't no way it's going to take that long. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's such an uncomfortable spot for a coach to be in to have to answer that question, but to know that everybody's thinking about it and talking about it. And it's one of the, the clouds that has been hanging over everything the Lakers have done for the last portion mm-hmm. of this season, which we, you know, we had to expect was going to be part of the conversation after the season. But let's make it – I was surprised to uh, see some of the comments that Russ made today as Russell Westbrook came in for his – exit interview and was really I, I think quite loud about the fact that he's never have, had a problem with the coach in the past despite reports he doesn't know why Vogel had a problem with him and mm. he came out and sort of aired all the dirty laundry it was surprising to me sir well I'll say the one person who for sure is better off by this move is Russ because the way his contract is I don't think we'll see him anywhere other than with the Lakers next year and if he thinks that that was part of the reason for such a disastrous season he could tell himself that whether it's true or not and maybe that'll help him next year I think a lot of other people have questions about this firing. Jay Williams is among them. He talked about it on KJ and Max this morning. They did Frank Vogel dirty. Rob Palenka, 
LeBron James, they changed their personnel. Frank Vogel's a defensive-minded coach. This is a guy that just won a championship 19 months ago, okay? Uh, but this is the reality of the world that we live in, and we've seen this movie before. We knew that he would be fired, and he also lost the locker room. Russell Westbrook wanted the ball in his hands on fast breaks. They had different difference of styles. They bunted heads. If you're talking about guys text messaging during games, think about that, text messaging People during games, there were reports of that around this weekend. Uh, players going against coaches' instructions right after the timeout. We knew this was going to happen. It doesn't change the personnel as it relates to their lineup. But who is the next coach going to be? I nominate Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse coming from Toronto, if they're able to pry him away from Masai Ujiri in that, in that franchise, offensively what he could bring to this team, I, I think would play major dividends for them from an offensive perspective. Yeah, I mean, Fitz, the main thing to think about is who is going to be able to work with LeBron because I think Spolster may be the only coach that survived a tenure with LeBron and kept his job. Uh, well, I think you just answered the question. Now the Lakers just need to go out and hire Spolstra. Yeah, yeah, ball. I'm sure the Heat, Heat will be Heat happy to. Are, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, Heat fans. It was a joke. Take it as a joke. Right. Don't, don't at me, please. All right, let's go to the next story. Quickies. Look at that. See? All right. And the, this comes in the form of happy money. I always like it when guys get paid somehow, mm-hmm. some way. And sometimes that's easier said than done when it comes to trying to get your cash. But one, uh, one player, Drew Holiday, uh, managed to find an interesting way to get it. Because with everything set and virtually nothing to play for, well, Drew Holiday had a $300,000 bonus to play for. So he did it. The right way. He suited up and played eight seconds. Got himself in the game, <laughs> got himself a little foul, and got himself $300,000. These are the moments, you know, as much as I joke about it, we've heard so many athletes, like let's look at the Major League Baseball side, for example, in labor negotiations, talking about being throttled away from their bonus. This is a great example of a team, a coach, and a player all being aware that just playing eight seconds can make it $300,000, finding a way to get it done. I love every second of it. Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty easy for the team to say, listen, we're not going to throw you in so you can make that money. And guess what? It's a lot more important to keep one of your best players happy. And if you're willing to do that for that sum, go ahead and put them in, which is what they did. Yeah, and it was nice to see some of the players uh, liking the tweets and everybody getting in on the fun as they all uh, – the number of tweets he got with the little yeah. money bag emoji right. is, is spectacular <laughs> work. And I don't want to short him, by the way. It was $306,000. That other six k, you, you don't want to short that. All right, next up. Quickies. Uh, I love a little trolling on social media, and the Orlando Magic decided to troll LeBron. Uh, A little surprising to me for Orlando going after him, but uh, they went out there, and this is the tweet. I'm out for the season officially. See y'all in the fall. And then they used a little king emoji with the peace sign. So Exactly what LeBron had tweeted, uh, word for word, with all the emojis the same. Um, A lot of people enjoyed it. A couple people tried to clap back, but for the most part, People were really, uh, they were really feeling it from the magic. I mean, usually you're not going to have a chance to go after LeBron if you have fewer team playoff victories and points than he does on his own, but they gave it a shot. Hey, I love the, you know, shoot or shoot in that essence, and I love the magic coming out and being like, (laughs) hey, we're not ever going to be recruiting him to come play here, so we might as well have a little bit of fun at his expense. Also, anything that distracts from you being the magic is a good plan. (laughs) Coming up, how does the vaccine rule in Toronto affect the Raptors 76ers series? We'll tell you next. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. There were a couple ways things could have gone for my Bulls, and I don't think anything could have been worse than facing up against the (laughs) Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Now listen, 
My Bulls started off hot. They cooled off over the second half, and obviously injuries to Caruso and Lonzo and Zach were a huge part of it. But as I have been preaching since the beginning, Fitz, the biggest flaw in this team is interior defense, and the only solution was Lonzo and Caruso on the perimeter disrupting enough so that teams couldn't get set and feed their big because Vucevic is a problem in there, and Tristan Thompson only has so many fouls to give. And here we are, Giannis, first round. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, it's, it's not going to be pretty. And I will say this much, at least for my bulls, they have given me a whole season of excitement that I have truly enjoyed. And I didn't expect it to come this fast. I I really didn't. I mean, this was a front office makeover and coaching makeover that was direly needed. They went out and got an awesome player in DeMar DeRozan who has clicked and worked with Zach and the other stars on the team. Patrick Williams just went out and put up 35. There's a lot of reason to be hopeful, about next year. Not a lot of reason to be hopeful about the postseason, though. But I do think that you can look at it and say, okay, foundational building blocks are there. And that, that yeah. has to matter because I, I, at the beginning of this NBA season, when we asked our experts, you know, what team are we, you know, should we not be paying attention to that didn't make the right moves? What team's not going to be as good as some people think? The number of times that you were trolled as people laughed and said, hey, don't hate me, Sarah, but the answer is the Bulls. Like, there wasn't a right. lot of belief in they Chicago. They said DeMar was in. the worst signing of the offseason, and he was in the MVP conversation for much of the year. Uh, Right. So I'm looking at a Chicago team that managed to make chicken salad out of you know what throughout the course of the year. And really, above and beyond that, despite the injuries that sort of derailed their season for obvious reasons, they played better than anybody expected. So if you're a Bulls fan, you're looking at it saying, hey, this is house money right now, right? Like you go in and you you have a good series, a good series against the Bucks. If you're just competitive, that's a win. But the season itself has already given you reason to have more hope going into next year than you've had for years. I think that's a bit of a positive. And for the Bucks, you get realistically such a, a favorable matchup just because of the way your team is built in the first round that it gets a team that has been quiet during the regular season but quiet and consistently very good the chance mm-hmm. to come out and really ramp into the playoffs. So I think it's weirdly, if this series goes the way it should go, it's still a little bit of win-win for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, as you know, I tend to look on the positive side with things like this where we were ahead of schedule and I never really got my hopes up too much during the regular season because the East is stacked, man. And you look at some of the teams that I I think last year, I don't know if you remember this, but there's a place in Chicago called the Wiener Circle. And it is famous for late night foods and the fact that if you go there, you will be screamed at by the people that work there. Uh, It is intentional. You will be mocked and berated. You will be made fun of. If you order a chocolate milkshake, you do not get a a chocolate-flavored ice cream delight. You get a woman who pulls her shirt up and shakes her her breasts at you without a bra on. That is the chocolate milkshake. It is uh, renowned. If you have a chance and you do not know anything about the Wiener Circle, I recommend Google searching Triumph, the insult comic dog, and the Wiener Circle. Uh, The back and forth is spectacular. My point is that last year... The Wiener Circle challenged me to make an NBA playoff bracket, and if I got it right, I believe it was going to be free hot dogs for an entire day for everyone in Chicago. Oh, Not wow. even close. Nowhere near close. I was way off. Samsonite, I was way off. I would be way more concerned about getting it right this year. I think there is absolutely a chance for the Sixers to get bounced because I just don't see the consistency. 
Joel Embiid's been fantastic, but James Harden, we always say, sometimes forgets how to basketball and just hasn't quite clicked. He does not have the ability to put it into overdrive like he used to. There's a lot of standing around when he's on offense. And now we find out Matisse Thybul will not be able to play in the road games against the Raptors. After the game on Sunday... He talked about not being vaccinated, said he got the first shot of Johnson and Johnson and then didn't get the second because he found out it wouldn't prevent you from getting or giving, which, by the way, is not how vaccines work and certainly was not the promise of this one. And then he made a whole bunch of uh, excuses and completely ignored the fact that he's probably gotten vaccinated for any number of other things that were, were required in order to go to school, et cetera, and so on. Uh, he thought he could, quote, keep it quiet. Well, can't keep it quiet when you're facing the Raptors in the first round. Yeah, that's the biggest part about for anybody that thinks they can keep it quiet. As the playoffs continue, if you are facing Toronto, then immediately your vaccination status is going to become a conversation. And, you know, if you're looking at this from Thibault's standpoint, uh, from Thibault's standpoint, you're looking at this saying this is somebody that the team desperately needs to be able to go in and compete in this series. And for Toronto, wildly, not only in this series, but throughout the course of the entirety of the playoffs now, Every time they could have a an insane advantage when they're at home, not just because of the crowd, but because they'll be facing a lesser version of some teams. And that's that's a little stunning when you think about the things we could never have predicted would be such a wild impact into this year's playoff. And if you're the 76ers, it's tremendous context that needs to be part of the conversation of mm-hmm. why uh, this season is going the way it goes. But at the end of the day, nobody cares about context anymore. Philly has expectations, and those expectations are to win. 100%. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. So you've got Matisse Thybul, who might not be available, and in addition to a Sixers team that you really just haven't been able to get a firm grasp of what they can be if everything's clicking, because it hasn't happened yet. As I mentioned, you've got Bucks Bulls. And then you're going to see the Heat uh, versus whoever gets the eight, the Celtics versus whoever gets the seventh. And on the Western side, um, obviously, Suns and Grizzlies are going to take on the play-in winners. And then you've got Warriors, Nuggets, and Mavs, Jazz. Again, the Jazz is such a fascinating team to me because they can be great, but they're so inconsistent. The Mavs are, they go as Luka goes. Uh, so that one's going to be an interesting one, too. Yeah, but I think the Mavs, it's fair to start saying, okay, they go as Luka goes. When are they going to make more around Luka, right? Like, because this is going to be the annual reminder as we have every single season in the playoffs that Luka can take over any game and Luka can make the Mavs competitive in any series. But I'm still looking at it saying, and that's the same thing we say every year when we go to the playoffs. To me, when you see a team with a talent as big as Luka right now, um, if he was playing in, in a market that got more criticism for a team, mm-hmm. let's say, from, with, they got more criticism, we would be destroying the team for letting Luka just sit there and have to 100%. do everything himself every Haven't year. won a playoff series since 2011. That's that's gross with the amount of talent that that <laughs> Luca has individually, and how frustrated we've all been at times in his career watching him just pull the team with every ounce of turbo button he has, right. and then all of a sudden look at the team and say, "Man, you let him down." And now I feel like we're in the same exact cycle again with the Mavs. Well, and you're going to see really what they have if he can't go because he's got a calf strain. Um, he does not yet have a timetable for his return, so they can't yet say that he's uh, going to be available for Saturday's game one. You don't want to start out 
just taking an L with with Luca out. Um, so uh, th- there's any number of ways that this could go. Um, I saw a report that the average time lost for calf strains in the NBA this season was 16 days. Mm, that Minimum seems of long. three days. So very wow. possible for him to return, but pretty complex injury because there's so many little tiny like muscles and tendons and ligaments and everything in that area that it could be anything from extreme to uh, minor. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he may not be available, which adds a whole nother mess to that conversation. Uh, what do you, uh, let, what's the the final matchup that we haven't really talked about yet? Um, that I think you know is another one where you could have an upset because of the matchup, and that's the Warriors Nuggets, right? The Warriors question has been, of course, health, and then size. How do they fare against size? Um, and so uh, I think. I I have confidence if everybody's healthy enough and can show up, but man, this this could be a surprising outcome for a team in the Warriors that's been a lot of the season being one of the favorites. Yeah, that's the shocking part of it. Remembering that they've essentially limped into the playoffs, losing what seven of their last eight. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about the Warriors and what's gone wrong down the end of the season. We've spent so much time presuming that health will fix them. It's a little like the Lakers at this point. Like that, that's just a hard presumption to make. And it is, to your point, Sarah, I think a really bad matchup for them when it comes to the size for the Nuggets. So I would love to see, frankly, the Nuggets do this, not because, you know, I I love fun things and Steph's fun. But at some point for the Nuggets, if they want to continue to get more shine nationally, this is the sort of series that they win. People will pay more attention. Completely agree. This is going to come down to what Draymond can do against Jokic. And they've been pretty content, at least in the matchups we've seen where Green has been available. Uh, He missed the first game with COVID and then he was rehabbing that back injury. So you have to go back a season ago to see how they used him. And um, they, they pretty much let him defend Jokic without help. They sometimes sent an extra body, but for the most part, they sort of just trusted that he would be able to make life more difficult. And they know that he's going to give some up because it's Jokic. You're not going to stop him every time. But he forces him into a lot of spins and dribbles and moves and and makes him work for it every time and tries to tire him out. And that's going to be huge in this series is how he can make Jokic be a little more human and that's been tough for every single team this year fits because we've seen the numbers out of Jokic all year it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jace Fitz coming up the star of the women's college basketball championship finally off the board in the WNBA draft we'll tell you where she went and whether we thought it was too late it's coming up next Spain and Fitz the podcast we uh we asked folks to share some of their Big moment, worst looks. Uh, as we are celebrating the WNBA draft on ESPN tonight, there's some really good fits. Destiny Henderson, hands down, killing the game with the teal suit, the matching teal Yankees cap, the kicks, the gloss, all of it. So good. But some folks, not so good when you look back at their draft day moment. Sue Bird was posting old shots of her and Dinah Taurasi. Dinah Taurasi's blazer went like knee down. It was, it was like 11 times <laughs> too big. Sue's rocking an express combo. Uh, so we asked some folks, and honestly, if you're on Twitter, just go to my page, at Sarah Spain, and look at the retweets. Because the magic of some of these photos, really the 70s and the 80s, gave us incredible, incredible content. So can I, uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story. All right. You ready for this, Sarah? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to tell everyone the, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Go for it. Well done. That was very professional of you. Uh, you. So 
One of the career highlights for me, one of the coolest moments I ever had the opportunity to be a part of was when the Bam Perry had the song for Team USA for the Summer Olympics in 2016, right? Awesome. So uh, because we had the song that was being used for Team USA and was all this big stuff, we, uh, we played a bunch of shows with them and we like got to hang out and then they sent us to Rio. So we're going to Rio to play for Team USA at the Team USA house at the Olympics and doing all this cool stuff, right? I'm super excited. One of the things we were doing there was we're playing the Today Show on the beach in Rio before, like, one of the <laughs> Olympic broadcasts. So I'm super excited for this, right? Like, this is, like, this moment where you realize, like, this is going to be. And, like, I am in uh, arguably at that point not, not the best shape. I'm in better shape now uh, in a lot of ways. But I was in the skinniest shape of my life, right? So, okay. like, I was probably a hundred, yeah. like 145 <laughs> pounds, somewhere in that range. Like, not even skinny fat. Like, I was just, like, uh, anorexic, right? So, uh, not literally. Don't worry about me, America. Yeah. Uh, so, I was very, very thin, and I had worked as hard as I could to be as thin as possible. And I show up, and then the Perrys, who were always very visual with the way they wanted everyone to look in TV performances, walk in, and they have these, like, beigey, neutral, weird, like, body outfit things that were like made of this heavy linen and I'm telling you I looked like it looked like we were straight out of Star Wars like it looked like I was in a bad Star Wars knockoff <laughs> like theme park moment and like and it was so tight and when I say so tight like they liked everything to be as tight as possible like in these oh, like no. thought it was a modern look right so I'm wearing at the time a size 28 jean and this was still so tight I could barely get into it and it made me look like a like a fat frumpy like some combination <laughs> of Luke Skywalker if he did the the hibbity dibbity with an Ewok and that's like what I oh, look no. like at the end of it like it was and and I had to play this whole song the song jumping up and down on the beach oh. in Rio in front of all of these like amazing athletes that are all around there too and I'm like y'all like I, I'm not uh, this isn't who I am <laughs> oh it was wor- it, it was the worst luckily no pictures were taken the, the, oh. the you know backstage no I ripped that thing off right away uh, I, I made my way there's definitely footage there's definitely footage of this yeah, that somewhere. I'm going to need to find God. oh it was it was it was tight, Sarah. It was very, very tight beige. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I think I found it. Perfect. This is if you search the band Perry Rio. Uh, were you playing Live Forever? Yes, we uh, were. Yeah, we were playing Live Forever. Wow. So. Oh, oh, wow. See, this is what, what happened. is happening. It does look like you're trying to be like futuristic stormtroopers in front. And then beige sort of like servants behind. Are you yeah. on the keyboard? Yeah, I was playing the keyboard on that song. There, were no, there was no fiddle it's on that song. It's not tight, though. It's oh, Everybody it Google the band Perry. Re- it was oh, tight. wait a minute. I just spotted under the jacket. Yeah, yeah, you have a jacket, but when the jacket opens, it's Also, whose idea is it to put you in a jacket on the beach in, in Rio. Rio in the middle of the Summer oh Olympics? Oh, my God. Baby fits. I had like oh. I, I I mean oh, it was 2016. It wasn't that long ago. I was still an old man in that. But you know I yeah, had it's like, giving you a bit of a belly, friend. Oh my you know god, what? yeah. Like I would I, never it, say that if you didn't bring it up. But it's not very flattering that outfit. No, uh, and like I said, I, size 28 jeans. Like most yeah, most yeah, most grown men in their 30s can't right. get into 28. Be excited so I'm about that. Up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, I shared this photo a while back, and, and I'm not going to share it again right now because I'm just working my way back up from the shame of the last time. But when I was in eighth grade, we had to wear a white shirt, uh, a dress to graduation. And okay. my parents were like, listen, it's a one-time deal. You're never going to wear it again. 
two years ago, your sister graduated from the same private school, had to wear a white dress. You'll just wear her dress. Okay. It was ugly when she wore it. It was still (laughs) ugly two years later. It had giant puffy sleeves, a scalloped neckline. It was Mm. too big. I had braces. My mom tried to straighten my hair, which is naturally very curly which um, few people know, but my natural hair is very curly. I have to straighten the hell out of it and keratin it and all of that to make it straight. But back in the day, we hadn't figured all that out. It was just a a fool's errand to try to straighten it. But my mom still tried to blow dry it. And so it was just Rosanna Dana from SNL Frizzy. Like that is exactly what it looked like. It looked like you brushed out uh, and, and, or I put my finger in a light socket, Monica from friends, like whatever you need. Okay. It was a disaster. Then, to add to it, you had to walk down the aisle of graduation with the person next to your name, alphabetically, of the opposite sex. Oh, my God. My friend, still my friend to this day, Andy Serafin, had the closest name. And while I've been the same height since I was 12, so six feet, Andy was maybe 5'1". Maybe 5'1". Okay? Wow. So I'm... 10 or 11 inches taller than this small little boy. The dress doesn't fit. I got a half row. I got, bra- <laughs> it would, I mean, I will send you this photo fits and I, I, it's, it's not, you can't be beat. It can't be beat. It just says puberty is what it says. That's like, if you looked up puberty in the dictionary, that's what you would get. That is, I, the, the, I feel the pain all the way to my core for all of that. And <laughs> that is so much tougher for girls and women than it is like, like guys have an innate ability to laugh at the worst pictures of themselves. Although I wish I were better at that at times, but, but guys <laughs> have a, a better ability of that. Like, I, I feel like that's just tough for, yeah. for women in general. It really is. It really is. Um, we were talking about Destiny Henderson before the break, by the way, she became the sixth South Carolina guard to be taken in the WNBA draft. Five of those six have been under head coach John Staley. So she is producing a factory out there. And Destiny uh, surprisingly went lower than we thought. And we had talked to Michelle Bubble before the draft started. And most people agreed with Michelle that Destiny had been the person who most upped her stock by by way of her play in the tournament. And I think people, and, and also I think her fit just made it feel like she was destined to go a little higher. Uh, but Lexi Hall was one that was a real su- surprise. She went number six to the fever. Stanford standout. Um so um, I think a lot of people's mock drafts started out strong through about six or seven, and then uh, now's where things get a little more surprising. Yeah, well, and, you know, as you look across the board, just a reminder, I still think it's staggering that there are a couple of teams in Indiana with a ton of picks they're, they're going to rebuild. Atlanta moves up, but Chicago having no picks just says mm-hmm. something about how confident they are in their roster. We see that so rarely. It's really cool. Chicago has three finals MVPs on the roster right now. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Coming up, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. We'll be back tomorrow night. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.